Welcome to the Juniper and Journey podcast with Keziah Ritter and Lindsay Heslop. We're so thrilled that you're here. This is a podcast dedicated to celebrating the strength and stories of women, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in their own words. We believe in the power of real conversations, honest confessions, and playful nostalgia. You'll get to hear all kinds of perspectives from all kinds of women about all kinds of things. We'll talk about life and motherhood and loss and faith. We'll reminisce about the good old days, first loves, and old flames. This is going to be fun. Things might get a little rowdy, but we can guarantee that it will be meaningful, and we hope each woman's story inspires you towards empathy, compassion, and healing. Okay, let's get started. Hi, friend. If you love following along and getting to hear the brave, raw, beautiful stories of women, would you consider contributing just $5 a month to our Patreon? There's a small cost to producing Juniper and Journey each month, and we would be so grateful for your support as we hope to keep this space ad-free. As part of our Patreon fam, you'll get access to fun merch, exclusive J&J content, and other fun stuff along the way. Use the link in our show notes to become a Patreon member today. We're so thankful for each of you who tune in to hear these stories each week. And it's our joy to be on the journey with you. Today we are hanging out with, well, one of our personal heroes, I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Yeah. Deb Eck is here and we're... Thank you. We're so excited yes, that you're here. Welcome, Deb. Yeah. I have honestly met very few people in my life that are as grounded and steady and mm-hmm. kind as you are. And it is our honor to sit with you today. So oh, thank, thank you, you for being here. This is great. Thank you. Yeah. We're glad you're here. Um, so let's kind of jump right in. We want to go back, you know. A little ways. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you meet your husband, Joel? So I was working, it was I had just finished college and was working at the Westminster Mall, which is no longer a mall. Um, <laughs> but I was working for a friend at a kiosk for winter break. Joel, his was his kiosk was right next to mine. So he traveled across the United States with a company that made Uh, clocks and stuff out of wood and so he would go to all these different malls and be there for the winter season and in the summer he would do the renaissance festivals so he traveled all over and he landed in westminster him and his brother and so being in a mall which can be busy but our kiosk was dead so we (laughs) had a lot of time just to hang out and talk and chat and he's very friendly joel was like super friendly like as soon as you meet him you feel like you've known him forever Hmm. and so we just spent a lot of time many many hours just talking and laughing and got to know his brother as well and would hang out with him quite a bit Um, so that's when we first met was back at the Westminster Mall and then he wanted to kind of move to Colorado he had friends that lived here and so he was like I've always wanted to live in Colorado and we had a roommate moving out so we were like we have an open room if you want to move in um, and he did pretty quickly. Like, I think it was, I think he wrapped up in January and he moved in like a couple months later. Was there a point where you were like, Ooh, I kind of like him more than friends. Yeah, well, now he's your roommate. So you're <laughs> right. like, Oh no, I'm crushing <laughs> on my roommate. <laughs> well, and that is weird too, because you know, you don't want 
my other my other roommate was a good friend of mine and it's like I don't want this to be awkward because we did find attraction with each other we definitely yeah. um, pretty quickly off were attracted but not like I just was not looking for a relationship I had just finished college and I was like I don't really know what I want to do with my life I mean I have this degree but that's kind of pointless because <laughs> trying to find a job with a marketing degree at the time I was like I couldn't find anything yeah so I think it was just weird with my friend living with us as well for me not to be like, hey, let's see if this could be something more than just a friendship between us. So I think it took some time, but probably within six months, we knew yeah, pretty well that we liked each other quite a bit. And then, so he was a type one diabetic and his diabetes was definitely affecting his kidney. He knew that he needed to have like a kidney transplant and living in Colorado, you can't, if you go on disability in Colorado, you have to like be out of work for six months before they give you any financial assistance. Mm -hmm. Whereas Minnesota, it was much quicker. So you could, he could live there. That's where his family was from. That's where the surgeon was. I mean, surgeon and like best hospital. So it was a no brainer that he would go back to Minnesota. And then it was, do I move with him? Which was really kind of scary for my family of like, what do you mean? You guys are like, roommates but now you're kind of dating and then having to explain that whole thing of like well we're actually a little bit more serious um, and we would get married except that we're not going to rush a marriage we're just going to move to Minnesota and live with his family that's pretty much what we did um, tell my parents that I'm gonna go move to Minnesota with this guy and they of course loved him like he just is one of those people that just he's incredible like hmm. funny um Loved my mom, loved my dad, just super close with my whole family. So moving there didn't seem weird, not being married, moving to Minnesota with this guy who's going to have a kidney transplant. And I was like, it just all seemed very normal. Hmm. Um, and maybe it's that, you know, in your 20s and you're adventurous and you're like, I'm going to move to another state and how exciting that can be. Um, yeah, you kind of romanticize it maybe a little <laughs> totally bit. Totally romanticized it. Now I'm looking back like, what was, if Cameron or Wyatt did something like this? <laughs> I would have been um, probably, I don't know. You just have to trust your kids too. And I think my parents trusted that I had my head on my shoulders and I knew I wasn't just doing something crazy. And so we did. We moved to Minnesota. I remember it was January and we drove there and it was 40 below zero. And <gasps> I was like, how long is it going to be this 40 below? And he's like, oh, it's like months like this. And I don't think it really clicked on how cold that was till I got there and yeah, it's ins it's just insane. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, we moved in January. We lived with his mom and stepdad um for quite a while until I found a job working in an apartment complex so we could have a place to live. And then we were there for three years for the whole process of a transplant, recovery. What was that like being being caretaker also <sighs> through this whole through the transplant and through recovery? And also being a little bit fresh into this kind of serious relationship, but also moving into that caretaker role really quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I looking back now, I think I was just so much in love that I would have done anything, gone anywhere, um, moved to Minnesota, you know, take care of him. Uh, diabetes is definitely a challenge. I mean, it was hard. Um I would say leading up to like as his kidney would get worse, he never really had to go on dialysis, so he didn't have total kidney failure before his transplant. But just the process before, I just remember 
just when his blood sugars were low and like how to handle that because it's pretty scary. Um, how he acts, his behavior, and just dealing with that at being, you know, pretty young myself and not really being around people like that. So I was like, it was all new. Um, it, I don't know. There were so many connections with Joel and I that I think I overlooked a lot of that. His, um, I had a sister that passed away when I was 20 and she was 24. So she died of cancer. And so I went through that whole process and Joel's brother had an older brother who died from AIDS. He got a AIDS through a blood transfusion and passed away. And I think because we both had this connection, there was just so many things between us. So taking care of him was very natural. I was like, this is just what you do. And, you know, we knew we were going to get married. It was just a matter of let's get married once you have the transplant. Let's do that. You know, you, you move out there, you do the transplant. Was that, it was successful at that point? Yeah. So he got, was lucky that his mom was a perfect match. Um, so she was the one who actually donated the kidney. And for people who get a kidney, they feel great. Like Mm. as soon as the surgery was done within a few hours after surgery, he was ready to walk around. He felt great. Um, the person giving the kidney, his mom had a much harder recovery and he felt great. Like it was just ready to move back to Colorado to get married, but let's wait until we figure out financially. And so it just, I mean, grace of God that I got a job that said, Hey, we'll move you to Colorado. And so it was all paid for. So that was great. So then you get back to Colorado and you're kind of like, okay, do we get to start this life together? What does that look like when, when you guys come back? Yeah. So we came back and we lived in my parents' basement for a while. And then we got married within three months and had the big, the big church wedding and, Family was all there. It was great. And then we moved into an apartment in Louisville, like 600 square feet. Ridiculous. But yeah, things were great. He felt good. You know, with the kidney transplant, he wasn't happy. We could feel his blood sugars going low. Um, He really took care of himself. And I think that was why the kidney, things were much better with diabetes. And then we were both working. And then we started talking about a family. And I was pregnant with Wyatt when we decided to buy a house. And so we we first started looking at like townhomes and then found out I was pregnant. And I'm like, nope, we need a backyard. So we found a house in Broomfield, moved in there and had Wyatt that summer. So probably within a couple of years of being married, we decided to start having a family. And, mm-hmm. and I remember being nervous about like, are my kids going to have diabetes? Like, what is this? So we did go through some like genetic counseling. Doctors we met with were like, no, I mean, there's a chance. And I know people that have no, no history of it and they don't have it in their family. So we went ahead and decided to, to do that and mm-hmm. had Wyatt. So it was really, things were really good. We decided to have Cameron. Things just started changing with his health pretty quickly after Cameron was born. So she was born in July. And then I would say it's about a year later that things started going with his kidney failure. And we knew at the time when he had a kidney transplant that we only had about 10 years um, before he would probably need another transplant because the longevity of it isn't as long as it's not a lifetime. Oh, wow. So she was about a year old when we started seeing just his health changing. Didn't feel his blood sugars getting low. Um, would have really bad reactions where I would have to like give him a shot of glucose to actually wake him up. Um, so I think it was, that was definitely like, 
okay, this is real. And kidney failure happened pretty quickly, and he went straight on dialysis. And that was a whole new world that I didn't have to experience the first time. And dialysis is tough. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, and that whole, it's kind of a blur. I think that's just your brain's way of protecting you when you go through it. It was Christmas time when, when Joel had a lot of just things were really bad. I remember it was Christmas Day. And he was like, I got to go to the emergency room. And that was like, really? Like, we're going to do this to our kids? Like, this is Christmas Day. I want this to be their memory. And that was just me always trying to protect Cam and Y from seeing the unhealthy side of like, your dad's not doing too well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did end up in the hospital. And then I would say it was shortly thereafter in January where he just woke up and he wasn't making sense. And I was like, what's going on? So we took him into the emergency room and they were like, we're finding that he's got like cancer in his head like he was hallucinating he was seeing things and it was a scary world that he was seeing and they're like we're finding that there's cancer cells in his in his head near his brain area and it just seemed like every day it would be new news of like well his heart he's got some blockage there's nothing we can do there um he's got cancer and his kidneys failing dialysis we won't do another transplant like all these things of like every day being like okay this is something new um, and it was, I mean, I, I am so grateful for my sister-in-law being here cause she's a nurse and she could like listen to the conversation and then like <laughs> say it back to me in a way that's like, okay, I understand. Yeah. Right? Translate. Yeah. So it was overwhelming and that was like January and then he passed away February 7th. So it was fast. Like it was quick. So fast that I remember calling my sister and being like, yeah, so you need to come and say goodbye. Like the whole family needs to come say goodbye. And them being like, what are you talking about? Because I also became very private and mm-hmm. like didn't share with my sister what was going on. Um, I think I don't even know if I shared everything with my mom. Like you just kind of just exist just because I got to put on the happy face for Wyatt, who's, you know, four and Cameron, who's a year, year and a half. Mm-hmm. Wyatt's four and a half. Like just put on a face, be happy. But spending a lot of time at the hospital and then coming back and that whole thing was definitely uh, difficult. It was pretty quick. Were you able to have conversations with him where he was like kind of able to be like, I might not come back from this? Did he know that was all happening? I think for a long time he thought, I can turn this around. Um, I can I can beat this. This is, this is something that we've gone through a transplant. We've been through this. Um, but I think there was a point... And again, I think it's the way of the brain protecting what's really happening. But I remember um, him saying one time, can I beat this? And my sister-in-law was like, uh, no, like there's there's no way we can turn this around. And that realization to him was like, oh, okay. And that shift in him of being like, I need to say goodbye to my kids. And the strength of like, I mean, I can remember bringing them in and like, you know, dang. Um, just the strength that he had to say goodbye gave me all that I needed to like erase them and like how blessed I am that I got to stay and God was taking him. But, you know, I, it truly was the strength. And when I think back to it, I'm like, that was the defining moment when it was like, Debbie, you got this. 
you're going to do this. You're going to raise these kids and they're going to know their dad and they're going to know how incredible he is. And yeah, that was definitely my defining moment of like, okay, this is how it's going to be. If he was strong enough to do that, I am strong enough to face anything that comes at me. And that's pretty much how we, how we went forward, you know? Did you live in fear kind of before that Christmas where things started declining? Was this a fear that you held in the back of your mind that, that one day this disease could take him or did you really only have to face that when he started declining or was there always this sense that like he could, he could go or Mm -hmm. I could not live my whole life with him. I would say looking back, I remember a conversation probably with my best friend and uh, being like, I'm going to go to Minnesota with this guy. And I know that he's not going to live forever. Like, I think I knew at that, at that 22 year age of like, I'm, I'm in love with this guy that I know is health wise, not going to live to be an old man, unfortunately. But I love him so much that it's worth the years that we'll have together to like, to, you know, to go for it. Um, some people never find love. And the fact that I found somebody that, cause I dated, I mean, I dated a lot and actually, honestly, within a few months, they kind of bugged me. So the <laughs> fact that I found someone that like still made me interested or intrigued me or made me laugh, um, years later, I knew that that was worth holding on to, that that was worth like, we're going to do this and we're going to try and ride this train as long as we can. And let's hope that it's longer than we, you know, I didn't think the kids would be so young. I thought they would be, you know, high school or college before we saw him decline, but that's life. Like you just don't know, you know, one has that crystal ball that tells us when it's going to end. So I remember like afterwards, after Joel passed away and, and that was a, a crazy weekend of like, um, it happened and very quickly we had a service and then we drove his ashes out to South Dakota because there's a family, there's a family cemetery there and that's where everybody goes. So it's the craziness of like buying everything I could about fear, like books about fear and like how to like go on after this happens. And, um, it truly was, I think it was just realization of like, I'm not alone. God is with me. Like I always have God with me. He's protecting me. He's watching over us. He's keeping us safe. Um, and even though we're going through this difficult time, he's still with us and he's still part of it. I do think it was like that defining moment of Joel saying goodbye to Wyatt, but Wyatt, you know, just watching him. And, and I think it did because I remember Wyatt saying to me like, mommy, aren't you sad? You don't cry. And I'm like, honey, I don't have time to cry. Like, that's what's crazy with death is when somebody dies, he didn't have life insurance. He didn't have, there was no plan, which was kind of silly at the time, but there was no, um, he was the breadwinner. He was the one that made the most. I was not working at the time. And so, um, yeah, he, I think that was like me just switching the gear of like, we're not going to tap into the emotion right now and we're going to get through, like barrel through it figure out the finances, figure out how I can keep the house. And, you know, and that truly is God. Like, that's like, when I look back and I think 
financially how we got through it, strength-wise how I got through it. It was 100% me relying on God and knowing that we got this. We just take it a day at a time. And so I do think that strength comes from like watching somebody like be strong through what he had to do and being like, okay, now I need to be strong and do what I have to do to raise these kids. And uh, yeah, be, be strength. And I think that's still sometimes what I do is I put the emotions behind and like go through what I got to get done. So after the gosh, the dust kind of settles and you lose him and you get through, yeah, taking on this second role <laughs> in your own self and going, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Did you have some like really hard days of, gosh, even just, a, you know, two young kids yeah. <laughs> or feeling lonely or feeling just burnt out and exhausted, like those years kind of after he passed away, what were those like? Yeah. The first year I was like, I've got to go find somebody. I can't raise these kids alone. I need to go, like, I think I signed up for a dating app and I don't remember what it's called anymore. But I was like, I need to find someone. I need to, I mean, I didn't want, I grew up with both my parents together and Joel grew up in a divorced home and just the importance of having a, a male father figure in their lives. I was like, I got to do this. This isn't fair to my kids to raise them. They're so young. Um, you know, I'm in my thirties. This is, I'm too young to be alone doing this. And so I did a, one of those dating apps and talked with somebody on the phone for a while. And then we agreed to meet for dinner and I went and it was the most uncomfortable thing in my life. Like it was just why did we do a dinner? Why didn't we just do coffee? So I didn't have to like sit through this. And I remember getting in the car and driving home and calling my best friend in tears and being like, I can't do this. And she's like, you don't have to do this, Debbie. Like there's no one telling you that you need to, to put yourself out there. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was it. Went off mm. the app. Um, I'm really blessed that I have like my best friend and her husband. Like he was such an amazing dad that Wyatt got to see what an amazing dad looks like. Just different people in my kids' world that I'm like, okay, thank you that these people came in to show them what a healthy male role model father figure looks mm -hmm. like. That was huge. Um, but I think then I just, once I made that decision that I can do this, I can be a mom raising my kids. I don't have to find something because it, what I find may be unhealthy. You know, I mean, that's the last thing I wanted to do was have my kids be in an unhealthy, you know, relationship. So I was like, I'm going to raise them. And I'm going to like, I found a job working at a school so I could have my summers off my weekend, you know, my time off with my kids. Um, and that's pretty much how we ran for a while of like, uh, we ended up selling the home that we lived in. Um, a couple years after he Joel passed away, I remember at first I was thinking I needed to leave and uh, friends came over and we got the house ready to put it on the market. And then I was like, this is security right now. It felt safe to stay there. Um, the neighbors knew our situation. Um, people all around us just came. The guy across the street, their family, like just again, amazing people that stepped in when things were like the lawnmower or whatever would come and help out. And so, but then after... A couple years, we found 
this community where my parents would buy one house and next door we would buy the other one. It was like the the answer to like, hmm. my parents can help watch the kids when they get off the school bus and, you know, just having that proximity of help. Um, so we moved there when Cameron was like in kindergarten. I'm curious, what what did it look like? Or do you remember moments that like surprised you now being the single mom and never having had to consider that before? Mm. Were there moments that kind of surprised you that you either like didn't know how to answer or people wouldn't know and then you would have to explain or the kids would come home and say something? Like were there moments where you were just like, I didn't have, I didn't realize we would have to think about this. Mm-hmm. Or that I would have to explain this in in moments that surprised you, maybe. Ones that pop into my head was um, just the the kids in elementary school. And, and they went to an elementary school that had like the father-daughter dance and the mother-son bowling thing. And I would just remember every year emailing the principal, like, can you just be considerate of people who either have their spouses in the military, or they're divorced, or there's a death or something that these kids, like, they're, and they're like, well, anyone can come with your daughter. And I'm like, she would never let anyone come with her. Like, that would be horrifying hmm. to show up at a father-daughter dance and have people say to her, is this your dad? That would have been worse. Just having to navigate that with my two kids of like, I got to be careful with Cameron's feelings when it comes to this. Um, Wyatt joined baseball and the coach that we had at the time was very into like the fathers are going to help us do this. And the, I don't think he ever even considered a home that wasn't a mother, father raising kids. Like he was, it just was shocking to me because I'm like, there's like mothers, mothers raising kids and fathers. Like I just was blown away and he just kept saying, well, the dads are going to come out and help me like sweep and do things and, and all these like crazy things about the dads. And I just, walked up to him. I'm like, hi, my name is Debbie and I am Wyatt's mother and father. So I'm both. That's who I am. So if you need me to sweep anything or need me to like, <laughs> you know, get some balls, catch some balls, I gotcha. And so yeah, we did. I went to the father, uh, the dad, son thing at Boondocks and like Wyatt could, like he loved that I went. Like he was like so proud of me. Like this is my mom. I don't, I don't think this is weird at all. And uh, we were playing like laser tag or something and I think I got like the high score or something and I beat all these dads and <laughs> I have to say that probably felt pretty good <laughs> I love that <laughs> yes and that's that, that's why it he would be proud of it and like yes do it and hmm. I think that's hard I think it is schools every year I'd be like do I tell you can I tell your teachers and why it was always like yeah they should know and Cameron would be like when we got to middle school no I don't think they need to know all that information and so it's just more how they privately dealt with it were there moments where you were also deciding this is who I'm going to tell, this is who I'm not going to tell, or mm-hmm. I don't get to choose now? Like people just know, and I'm also now dealing with that and people not knowing how to treat me because of it. Yeah. What did you do with that? I didn't. I, I didn't want to be like, I didn't want, it's really hard. Like you don't want to be, I don't want to be the sad person that, is like the single mom that whose husband passed away. And I remember we the church that helped us go through this, and they were really supportive 
um, the minister would come and spend time with Joel and spend time with me, really helped us that next year and a half afterwards. And the church that we were going to, though, you showed up on Sunday and you were in a dress and your kids were in their best Sunday clothes. And I remember just being like, okay, we got to get up early. We got to like look our best. We got to show up. And I would walk in and it was a small church and everybody knew my story. They knew, you know, they would instantly see me and they were friendly and nice, but it's different. You're not going to be invited to the dinners when it's like mom and her two kids. They probably would, but the type of church that it was, it was, I definitely stood out. Um, And so I just started like, I've got to find a church that accepts us and doesn't look at me in a sad way. I don't want them to know my story. I don't like, I've got very protective of like people knowing who we were or having this idea of who we were. And so I started looking around and I heard about one that had like a single moms group. And I was like, that's what I need. I need somewhere that's going to lift me up in a church and like, you know, God knows my story. Jesus is with me. What's, why is this such a strange thing for other people to see this single mom with her two young kids walk in? Why is that uncomfortable for other people? It's not uncomfortable for us. And we did. We found one that that really was what we needed. Um, and then I knew, like, if I'm going to raise these kids, I've got to do it with a church. I need a family. We need a community that's going to help us, um, which is probably why I got interested in youth, you know, student ministries. It was like sitting in church one day and they put the call out that, hey, we need some help with fifth graders, you know, during this time. And I was like, I actually, why it's in fifth? And I know another girl who had, mom had passed away. And I was like, it's exactly what she needs. And so I started bringing her and Wyatt. And then, you know, many years later, it just is running with my kids was awesome. Like they allowed me, they can't imagine even today when I'm like, am I too old for this? They're like, no, you got to keep doing this mom. (laughs) Like they, they both appreciate that I went through student ministries with them and we went on like camping trips and did a lot of really fun things and Mm -hmm. missions trips and you know, I think that's what helped me get through their middle school, high school years was that we just ran together. We talk about everything. And that probably has been, people always say, how do you, how do your, your kids are good? Like, what do you, I'm like, well, all kids, all kids are good. They, you know, I don't know how Wyatt and Cameron, you know, ended up the way they did, except that we are very open and talk a lot and try to like, realize that we put God at the center of who we are and like this is the foundation and from that we build. Did you have times of like moments where you felt like, oh, I'm, we're going to do this or like we're going to be okay and here's some hope and here's some peace mm-hmm. and, and we've got this. Mm-hmm. What were those moments like? I like thinking about the moments of just like hope and peace. Um, you know, I, looking back at my marriage and thinking of my husband and like, it wasn't always, everything wasn't always happy and positive. Every marriage has battles and and, and you hurt each other in ways that you would, why you would ever hurt the one you love the most, but you do, you hurt those people. Um but when, when Joel passed away, I was like, you know what? All that needs to be remembered of him is just all the really good things about him. And that's what my kids need to understand is the really good 
good things. And my dad was four and my aunt was two when, when their father passed away. And I remember asking my aunt, like, what did grandma do right and what did grandma do wrong? And she said, we were never allowed to talk about him. It was a forbidden thing um, because it made her cry. It made grandma upset. So she said, I grew up as a two-year-old never knowing my father. And I remember being like, okay, I can do that. I can do, I can at least have my kids know who their dad is. But I did try to like, this is who he is. Like the pictures are still in our house. And you know, like that's, that's who, that's who helped make you. Um, I truly am always amazed when I look back over the years of like how we got through it financially. I mean, I worked as a para at a school, which doesn't make a whole lot of money. Um, With Social Security, it made a little bit more like we got through. Um, But, you know, we didn't live an extravagant life, but yet we lack nothing. Like we truly are taken care of so unbelievably um, that I think those are the times that I'm like, okay, we got this. Um, I am at the point where the kids are, you know, in college and graduating from college and moving on to their next chapters. Um, and there's that like fear that creeps back in of like, Oh, you went away a long time ago and I don't need you back. Um, of like, what are you going to do without them? Like you've spent the last, you know, 20 years running with them and they're like a huge part of your life. And, and I just remind myself that I I'll figure it out. Yeah. I think I'll, I'll be okay. And I think that is a comforting feeling to know that that's just faith. You know, you don't always, can't always see what's going to happen, but um, I do trust that God has taken care of us and will continue to take care of us. Have there been moments as your kids have gotten older that you've considered a partner again or Mm -hmm. wanting to date or what has navigating that been like is that something you think about regularly or are you like i am so good no thank you (laughs) (laughs) that's funny because i honestly there's probably times in life when i'm like i'm lonely i feel lonely and i remember a time in particular where i was like i feel so lonely and i don't know if it was the kids were really busy in something and I was just completely alone for a while. Um, and I thought, you know, I just the sadness that comes over you of like alone, like the house is quiet. There's nothing here. Um, and just this voice very loudly to me, and it sounds weird, but a voice very loudly that's like, I'm here. Like Jesus is with you. You are not alone in doing this. You are completely 100% have somebody by your side. It's just not the physical part. I spent so much time running with my kids that I didn't bother to look around. Even now, um, several of my friends are going through divorce and they're mm-hmm. out there in the dating world and they tell me about it and I'm like, oh, that just sounds terrible. Like putting yourself out there. Um, so I, that's weird. But I, I know, I, I think that I'm, I feel like I'm that freak person that's like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got my plants. I have my plants. <laughs> I got Neha. You yeah. know, I look at like these people that like change their worlds to try and fit with somebody else. And I don't want to change my world to try and fit with somebody else. If an opportunity came along, if somebody came along that was great, that my kids both were great about, certainly. Like I'm not going to, I love men. I'm like, it's not, not like I don't, don't want to like, <laughs> 
have that relationship. It's just the idea of looking for it to me seems like a full-time job. And that between work and going to school just seems like something that, and I think that's probably what I've done for 20 years is keep saying, well, I just don't have time right now. But maybe when I'm like, you know, 60 or 70, maybe then (laughs) I'll look around and be like, I really have nothing to do this next week. I could probably. (laughs) I could date. I could probably. But that. You got to go get a job at the Westminster Mall. Yes. (laughs) Well, and I laugh because I threw out. I don't know that the kids would have been comfortable for a while there. Of course. You know, like I think they would have been kind of weird with it. Um, I guess I haven't really asked them if I, I mean, I think if I started to say this is what I'm going to do. I think they'd be completely supportive. Um, but I think for a long time, they were more comfortable with it just being mom. Like, this is just what it is. Mm-hmm. So, Have there ever been any other outlets that you found that have been really helpful for you? Whether that was, you know, years ago, kind of when this happened, or even now, where you're like, it really helps me to... I don't know, even like go to, go to counseling or to do this thing for myself. Has there been things that you've found like, you know, yeah, pockets of time yeah. <laughs> or whatever, or energy even where you're like, I can, I can take care of myself in these little ways. What have those looked like throughout the years? Definitely say, I know I spent a lot of times, um, exercising. Like I always went to the rec center and had workout classes and made friendships through there that I think I did realize that, you know, I got to take care of myself because I am all that my kids have. And, um, so taking care of myself that way, we would, my best friend and I would take a weekend every summer and do the, the warrior dash, which is like insane. You like throw yourself, you know, through tunnels and up over walls and like walk on fire and all this crazy stuff. And we would go up for a weekend. And I think that was like my one weekend a year that I was not, you know, Debbie the mom. I was not two kids. We and we were crazy. We were wild up there. Like we, <laughs> I love it. We always had costumes and yeah, it was just our weekend. And then I think the last year was a few like five years ago and I had bruises everywhere. <laughs> I was like, why are we doing this? Yeah, we, we got to really, change it up. <laughs> we really could just go away for a weekend. Right. But we haven't. Like, that's the sad part is that we said we could go away for a weekend and just have a glass of wine and enjoy each other and like talk because we never get to just talk. And yet we don't find that time. Um, but I would say, yeah, that was me just finding a weekend every year. I think something I love so much about... Well, yeah, getting to have known you for so many years and also still getting to like be a part of your life is you really do also live in this way, which is like your life is full. Mm-hmm. It's full of people and joy and adventure. And I think in knowing this part of your story, you've embraced this thing, which is like our life can still be full mm-hmm. and rich. Um, and we can also still miss this person mm-hmm. and love Joel and talk about him. And so how would you in- encourage someone feeling like my life is just missing this, mm-hmm. this person or this relationship or this thing that you love so much and you feel like your life is never going to be full again? Like, what would you tell them? 
I think if you're in that place where you really can't see beyond like missing that person or like, well, how do I go on? Because I, I mean, I've definitely been around and met a lot of single women and whether it's death or divorce, it's still losing something that's really hard. And to me, it's like trying to find that thing that does wake you up every morning. Um, I always think of my grandma saying, you know, it's hard, but then the sun comes out the next day. And just that reminder of like, this is really hard today, but I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and the sun's going to be shining and I have a new chance at a new day. Um, and that's really hard to hear when you're down low and to have someone say that to you is just condescending. It's like, I don't, I don't need that right now. But I think they need to be able to talk. And I think I've had those avenues of people to talk with. I've met amazing people that will let me just talk. Um, You know, I get to do student ministries and be around kids and hear their stories and let them just share what's going on in their world. Um, I didn't do counseling. I'm obviously not opposed to it since that's what I'm studying for. But um, (laughs) I do think... If you, if you don't have the friends or the family or that support system in your church or wherever, that you find someone that you can talk about. Because putting light on it, getting it out in the open and discussing it is going to allow you to see the next day and so on. And I think that's probably what's helped me is just focusing on the good and the, the positives in our day because we all have difficult times. We all get angry. We all get depressed. Um, but just realizing that that's just a season and that it doesn't have to. And if you're feeling like you can't find that peace, then I like definitely get some help. But yeah, I think you got to be able to share that. You got to be able to talk openly and honestly with people. And if you can't find that person who's willing. What have you gone like, this will be my next thing. Mm-hmm. And what is it? What is it teaching you? just about yourself and about your life. Yeah, I would, um, I heard about school counseling and I got really excited about the program. And so it's, I'm going through this two-year graduate program. Um, But studying to be a counselor, uh, I'm realizing that I'm having to like share more about myself. Like when I talk to people, they're like, they've all gone through counseling and I've never done Mm -hmm. a counseling session. So I'm like, okay. And so we have to do, these fishbowls where we have to bring up something difficult. And I find that that's much more difficult for me. I I prefer to listen um, more than I prefer sharing the intimate details of me. And that's um, something I know I have to open up more in order for this process to really work. Um, It's been, that's been a challenge, but I'm excited about this when I think about, you know, the next 10 to 15 years before retirement, um, doing something that I love and the fact that I would get to be with students, um, just hearing their stories and like knowing what they're going through and being that support person. I think that is exciting to me. Yeah. Like God, God is not done with you Mm. that you're like, I got this great love and I raised two amazing kids and there's still more for me. Mm. And I think it's exciting that you've chosen to embrace that instead of letting it, letting that fear back in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I'm sometimes wish I could just be content with like, why can't most people just retire as the school office manager? Like they don't, <laughs> they don't try and go back to get their masters when they're in their fifties. But I'm like, no, I can do this. Um, why not? Why not keep trying to open new doors and see how far I can push myself? Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your heart. And that in the very beginning, when I said you're the most kind of steadfast person, I think we all got a glimpse of that today. Um, and we just appreciate you so much. And thank you. Oh, thank you guys. Yeah. Our hero. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Juniper and Journey podcast. If you heard something that resonated with you or that you have questions about, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Juniper and Journey and slide into our DMs. It would be our treat and total privilege to chat with you. We all have a story. If you're interested in sharing yours here on the podcast, please reach out. Bye for now. Cheers. Cheers.